So we've been in a series called Do you want the good news? Or do you want the good news? Which one do you want first? The good news or the good news? Um, I'm going to do a poll. Uh, I don't typically do this in here, but I'm going to do it today. Uh, I'm just curious. You're not in the right or the wrong, depending on which way you answer, but I am curious. Um, are you a good news first person or a bad news first person? Which one would you rather hear first? If you are one of the people that would rather hear the good news first, raise your hand. And that's about four people. Okay, all right, good. So the good news first people. And if you are a bad news first kind of person, raise your hand. Okay, that's everybody else. All right, interesting. Um, you know, I tried to evaluate myself on this question and tried to figure out which one I was in. And, and really, <laughs> you know, this is how negative I am, okay? I, this is the negative part of, because I struck, the reason I, I believe God laid this message on my heart and this title on my heart is because I'm a pretty negative person in general, which is kind of weird being a pastor. I have to wage war against that mentality. Uh, when I'm in meetings at work, um, you know, and somebody comes up with a great and wonderful idea, I immediately start to pick out all the things that are wrong with it or things that could go wrong or why it might not work out or all those kinds of things. Does anybody else identify with that kind of personality? Okay, there's, there's two other people. All right, good. So I'm not alone in that. It's good to know that, that you're not alone. Um, but God, I really believe he put this, this title on my heart because this is something I wage war with every single day, and, and that is to be a good news kind of person. Um, the, the, what I was saying, though, is, is that I am really kind of indifferent to which one I hear first. You know what I say when somebody, you know, a doctor or whatever says, which one do you want first, the good news or the bad news? And I say, well, it doesn't really matter because I got to hear them both. So now if you want to keep one of them from me, now we can talk about something. But I'm going to hear them both. It doesn't matter which one I get first. And that's, that's the, the way my mind works. So that's how messed up I am. But I think that the reason people kind of in general probably want uh, the bad news first and the good news last is because they want the, the good news to kind of stick with them, right? It's kind of like whatever you last heard is going to stick with you longer. So, you know, if you will say the bad news two seconds before you say the good news, hopefully that two seconds will make a difference. Am I right? That, yeah. So you want to hang on to the good news. You want to forget about the bad. Let's see if in that two-second gap between when you give me the, the bad news and the good news, maybe I can forget the bad news, right? Um, that's, that's how weird I am. I'm like, it don't matter because I'm going to remember both. I'm going to remember both. Uh, you know what's so interesting is we've been preaching this message on the good news, and, and, and there have been, I, I've gotten feedback about different things about the messages, and Jameson preached an awesome message about these truths around the gospel and the good news, and, and there have been people that will pick out the bad news out of the gospel. They will try to pick out the, the, the bad news out of the good news. That there will be people that will take the good news, and what they will take from that is to focus on the bad news. And, and I have actually gotten that feedback. I've gotten people that have said that. I've gotten people that that like, yeah, I heard this, but what I really took away was this. And I'm like, we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news, the fact that there is, there is a sacrifice that was made for your sins and my sins, so we might experience the righteousness of God. And people will say, yeah, but here's the bad news. Here's what I heard that wasn't so good. And I'm like, really? We are talking about the good news. The good news is that there's good news. And which one do you want first? The good news? The good news is all good news. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to point out some stuff in here that's kind of controversial to some people, and that's fine. I can deal with that. I've dealt with it my whole life, so uh, we'll deal with it here today. But today I want to be 
uh, I want to talk to you about um, the Pool of Bethesda. And the Pool of Bethesda is a place where, um, well, I, I can read it to you first. I'll start in John chapter 5, verse 1. I'll, I'll read a couple of verses, first three verses. After Jesus returned to Jerusalem from for one of the Jewish holidays, inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda. With five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. So Bethesda had this pool, and people were laying around these porches. Now, one of the reasons uh, that, that people that were lame or sick or blind would lay around on these porches around the Pool of Bethesda is because there was this... Um, this uh, what is the word I'm looking for? This, it's not a tradition, superstition. That's the word I was looking for. So there was this superstition that, that they would see in the Pool of Bethesda that there would be something that would stir the waters, okay? And they thought that there was this superstition there in Jerusalem. They thought that, that what it was is there was an angel coming down from heaven and he was troubling the waters, Okay, and, and, and whoever jumped in the pool first, whoever was the first person to jump into the pool of Bethesda first was going to be healed from whatever their ailment was. So all these sick people laid around the pool of Bethesda. It sounds crazy, right? Um, it, it's so funny to me. Uh, I, I think superstitions are hilarious. Um, personally, I, I don't believe in any superstitions. I know some people got like, well, look, I played softball, and I know if I changed my socks that it was, we were going to lose, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I, look, I, I think they're hilarious. Um, the one that I think is most hilarious to me is, is uh, where people will say, and, and some of y'all in here do this, so my apologies if I offend you because I'm probably about to, uh, don't say that. You shouldn't say something like that. Like if we're outside and it's, it's thunderstorming, and I'm like, we're going to get struck by lightning out here. Don't say that. Don't say that. We're not going to get struck by Don't be saying that. Let me tell you something. If I had the, the ability to be able to say struck by lightning and make lightning strike, that would not be a good thing. Let me go ahead and tell you, I would be using that for all kinds of bad stuff, all right? There would be like people that I don't like, and I'd be like, you're going to get struck by lightning. Kapow! You know what I mean? Like, that would, I don't need that kind of power. So if you think that by me saying it, that we're going to get struck by lightning, uh, I, I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid I'm not God. Uh, I, I never will be God, as a matter of fact. So that's never going to happen. And just by me saying it, there's only one that can speak stuff into creation. And trust me when I tell you I ain't him, okay? So, so. It, it, that's the one that cracks me up the most. Is and, and my mom, I'll go ahead and call my mama out from up here. She used to do that all the time. Son, don't say that. Don't say that. I'm like, mama, I can't. Look, I can't control stuff with my words. I just, I can't. You know. And but I think that that's superstition. And some of you folks in here deal with that one. So I, I saw some folks in here grinning pretty wide, even through your mask. I could see you grinning pretty wide when I said that one. But there was this superstition that whoever jumped in the pool first after the angel had troubled the water. So this is what they thought had happened, that they would be healed from whatever their ailment was, right? And, and there was actually a play that was created uh, by Thornton Wilder. Um, it was, it, he's the guy that wrote Our Town, which is a famous play that you may have heard of. He's, he wrote a play called The Angel That Troubled the Waters. And in this play, it's about this whole interaction between this angel that kind of comes down from heaven. And all this is, you know, it's, it's, it's all fictional, of course. And and this angel comes down from heaven, he's talking to two different people and about how one has an ailment that you can physically see, you can see how, how he's deformed in some way, he's got some sort of 
crippling effect on his body, and, and you can see that. And then this other guy is arguing because the, the angel's talking. He's like, who am I going to heal today? Who am I going to be the one that, who am I, who's going to be the one that I'm going to touch that's going to be healed today? And this other guy comes up. He says, just because you can't see my physical infirmity, just because you can't see that I'm messed up, that does not mean that there's not something wrong with me. Mine's on the inside, and it's tucked away. But it's just as real as his. Even though you can see his, mine is just as real as his. And these two people start to have this conversation back and forth and almost like an argument about who should be healed, this guy or this guy. And the angel's like, I got to get back to heaven. There's stuff to do. And remember, this is all just a story. Thornton Wilder made this up and come from the Bible. So, And the angel's like, I got to get back up to heaven. I got stuff to do, you know, and he says, I'm going to heal you, the one with the physical infirmity, the one that's obviously crippled in some way, I'm going to heal you today. And the other one gets very upset. He says, just because you can't see mine doesn't mean it's, it's not real. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. And the angel heals the one and doesn't heal the other. And then immediately after that, there's this whole conversation about somebody that comes up and says, look, I've got somebody in my life that is struggling and, and, and she won't talk to anybody. She's in a deep place of depression, basically, is what this person is indicating, this place where she is just sorrowful to the point where she just cannot move. She is incapacitated with sorrow. And, and they say, but you, the one who has the hurt on the inside, the one that, that, that we can't see your pain, you're the only one that they will talk to. You see, your pain has given you power and it's given you the ability to go and speak to people that are in the same place. And I think it's a beautiful picture and I think it's a beautiful um, scene that Thornton Wilder kind of draws for us and, and how sometimes that we don't understand everything and we don't understand the mind of God and we don't understand what God's doing. And, and, and just every now and then we get this little glimpse from heaven to, to be able to see what God is actually doing with the things that are inside of us. And I think it's a beautiful story. But here, these people actually believe that there's an angel that comes down from heaven and stirs the water. Now, maybe what's going on there is there's something in this particular pool of water where, you know, bubbles come up from the bottom and people think that that's an angel coming up or coming down from heaven to stir the waters. But that's not really what's going on here. It's just that's a superstition these people believe. So all these people hung out on these porticos, these colonnades around around. The, uh, the water so that they could be the first one to jump in, right? And here we see Jesus roll up on this scene. Now, Jesus has just come out of, a, uh, out of the city to celebrate some kind of holy holiday. And, and, you know, and by the way, in case you're wondering, Jesus knows what day it is. <laughs> We're going to see that in just a minute. Um, he does something on the Sabbath. And in case you're wondering, Jesus is not questioning what day it is. As a matter of fact, he actually is the one that makes the sun rise and fall, so he knows what day it is. He's not confused about what day it is. So this happens to happen on the Sabbath, and th look at what happens. It says, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. He had been lying there, and he was sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I 
I've told you this a million times, and I'll tell you a million and one. When God asks a question, it's not because he does not know. When God asks a question, it's because he's giving a what? An invitation, right? God is giving this man an invitation. Jesus is looking at this man who's been sick for 38 years. He's looking him in the eyes and going, do you want to get well? He's not asking this man for, for an answer about do you want to actually be healed. He's giving him an invitation to be healed. And the man starts with excuses. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. So I want to pause there for just a second. Who here says that this is a miracle of God and there is nothing but good news in this? Yeah, right? Yeah, we would praise Jesus. Like this dude got up and he walked and he had been lame for 38 years and he was sick and Jesus gave him an invitation and he said that he couldn't get in there because nobody would help him. Nobody had compassion on this man. Well, Jesus had compassion on this man. Jesus had mercy that he wanted to pour out on this man. It doesn't say anything about this man's faith. It doesn't say anything about this man having faith in Jesus or anything like that. This is Jesus having compassion on somebody that is lame, that is sick, and Jesus just pours out heaven on this man. And we say, praise Jesus. But there are some, and there are sometimes in my own heart where I say this too. So understand, this is a struggle, not just for everybody else, but I struggle with this too. There are some that will say, but what about everybody else? Well, there were a lot of people. It says right there, there were many people that laid around on these porches. It says crowds of sick people. There are five porches and crowds of sick people are, are laying around these porches. And, and there's a lot of people that instead of saying, praise Jesus for the mercy being poured out on this man, they will say, what about everybody else? Immediately entitlement sets in. Like if I were to say this, I won a million dollars yesterday. Now, this would be news to my entire family, first of all. They would be very excited to hear that I won a million dollars. And I said, but, but I'm a good person, so I'm going to give that million dollars away to everybody in this room, to, to the people in this room. And you would say, man, he is a good person. He, he's, he's, he's a very good person by giving away all that money. But what if I said, I'm not going to give it away to the people in this section right here. Everybody over here, let's say there's 50 people over here, 25 over here, and I was, these 50 people, you're all going to get 20 grand a piece. But you people aren't going to get anything. Immediately, you know what people will say? It looked good, but it's not really good. It looked like he was a good person, but he's not really good. Especially, you know, if they're sitting over here, they're going to say that too. But, but there are even people over here that are sitting in the place where they're going to get $20,000. They'll say, well, that's not good. They'll forget the beautiful part of the fact that they are getting something free and all of a sudden entitlement sets in and I, I, I thought every one of us in this room was going to get something. I thought we were going to split it evenly. And entitlement starts to set in. When you walked into this room, you didn't deserve $20,000. 
It's only, only by the gracious gift of me pouring it out to say that you get $20,000. But people will tend to focus. I say myself, and there are, there are others that will tend to focus and say, in the midst of this good news, I see bad news. I see jealousy. I see entitlement. I, I, I see this, this, this division that happens here, and I'm not okay with it. And then they'll start to question, why is Kenny doing that? Why is Kenny only given to some and not to others? Why, why, what, what is wrong with him in such a way that he would only give to certain people, but he wouldn't give to others? And they begin to question my motivations. They begin to question why it is that he would do that. You know that we do this to God. We, we listen to Jameson's message on the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And when he preaches Romans chapter 9 straight out of the word of God, there will be people that will take that good news and they will see bad news. Entitlement. Jealousy. Pride. I say, I'm supposed to understand the mind of God. I'm supposed to understand what God is doing. I'm supposed to understand this. I'm supposed to understand that. We deserve to understand nothing. All we can do is take God and, and say, God, I trust that you are who you are and you are who you say you are and whatever your mind says, I am okay with. The human nature side of us can even inter intervene and interfere with the gospel, the good news of salvation and the rescuing mercy of God. Just when we think we've got our minds wrapped around it, just when we think we understand it all, God says, no, but you, you don't understand it all. And that's where faith comes in. And that's why we say we have to trust him. And here this man, he was healed and it was a miracle. And it was, it was amazing that God had mercy on him in this instant. And we praise Jesus because this is good. And this is a miracle and this is the good news that God has mercy on people, that he sees their, their, their hurts and their pains and their anguish, and they, he sees the fact that they, they feel... I mean, if you were this man, actually, you would, you would be uh, ostracized from communities in a lot of ways, and you, the, the priest would have looked at you like there was something wrong with you or there was sin in your life or something like that that's caused you to be this way. That's very much the way the Jewish system was, is they looked at people like if they, it was either something they did or something their parents did that caused them to have this infirmity for 38 years. And here Jesus looks at this man and gives him an invitation. He says, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now Jesus knows what day it is. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began to walk. But since a miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. <laughs> but he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. So here this man has been healed, and this man even says, look, the guy who told me to, to, to take up my mat is the one who healed me. Like, I was crippled, and he said, take up my mat. So I thought, you know, hey, this guy that can heal me physically probably knows what he's talking about, so I'm going to take up my mat. 
I, I, can, I can see that this guy would have that kind of logic in his mind, and, and it's the Sabbath, and, and these, these, these religious leaders are looking at Jesus and looking what just happened. They're always trying to follow Jesus around and trip him up and try to catch him in something that's against the law, and, and here they say, man, this guy, this guy was sick for 38 years, and he's healed now, and what do they see? They see the fact that he is carrying his mat on the Sabbath, that he is doing work. Okay, so, so it was their law and their, 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 their man-made law that they took basically this time of rest that was designated for them, and they added all these rules on top and where you couldn't do anything, and, and you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that on the Sabbath. And in here, this man doesn't look like he's doing a whole heck of a lot of work to me. As a matter of fact, he ain't walked in 38 years. I would say, you know, he, he saved up some energy, you know what I mean? Like, and he's just carrying his mat is what he's doing. And these religious leaders are looking and saying, you can't carry your mat. You're doing work on the Sabbath. Let me tell you something. Jesus knew what day it was. He knew it was a Sabbath, and he was doing this directly in an affront to the idea of the Sabbath. And he said, get up and walk and take your mat. Now, he's doing this on purpose. This man could have been healed two days ago or three days into the future. It doesn't matter. This guy had a, a chronic illness, and he was still going to be laying there no matter what. But Jesus chose to show up on that day at the pool of Bethesda for that purpose, to heal that man, to do it on the Sabbath, because he needed to show that this religious system that had been set up, this Jewish system, this Judaism that they were, they were abiding by and put all their faith and trust in was a false religion, that it was not true. So Jesus does it on the Sabbath so that this man is doing something in rebellion against that Jewish tradition, that Judaism. And Jesus does it on that particular day. So they ask the guy, so who, calls you, who, who told you to do that? He goes on to say in verse 12, he says, who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd but afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Now, you are well, so stop sinning or something else even worse may happen to you. The man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So, so he, he didn't really know where the guy went that had healed him. So he, he's there at the pool of Bethesda. And, 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 and I want you to understand something, that, that, that even in the midst of this great news about this man being healed, there's also a truth here that we really have to embrace. And that is the, the, the fact that you've got the choice to embrace truth or not. You, you have this, this decision to make and, and, and how you respond and, and what you do. And, and here, this man, he's in the temple and Jesus finds him, right? And Jesus says, stop sinning or something even worse is going to happen to you. Now, we just get the tail end of the conversation, that's what I believe. I believe that we don't get the whole picture of what, it, what the whole conversation looked, looked like here, but I believe Jesus is probably telling this man, he says, you can't find righteousness in anything that you do. You can only find righteousness in me. Put your faith, put your trust in me. And he goes on to tell him, he says, stop sending or something else worse is going to happen. What could be worse than being ostracized from community, being looked like as a sinner for all of your life? What could be worse than that? An eternal death and separated from an eternal God not recognizing the mercy that, that God has bestowed upon you. Man, that, that's worse. And he says, stop sinning. And immediately, what, what does this guy do? So I know, I know like, you're like, man, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand all this, what's going on here. 
But this man never lost his trust in that Jewish system. God had mercy on him. God had poured his, his mercy out on him. But this, this man instead chose to rat Jesus out. Jesus finds him, shares this good news with this man, tells him to stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to him. This is the part of the conversation where he, he, he's telling him that, that man, you, you, you have to understand the trust you need to have in me and, and the way that you need to follow the, the path that I've set out for your life and stop trusting in yourself and stop trusting in this false religion. And this man instead chose to go back and have a Judas moment, right, where he goes back and he rats out Jesus and says, he's the one. He's the one that did it. He's the one. So here, let me, let me read one more verse to you. It just says this. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. Jesus started coming under attack because he was trying to show them that the, the religious system that they were following was false. The religious system that, that was being set up in their country and in their land was a false religion, that it was not true, that it was not real, that, 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 that it, there was a, a new covenant that was being made through Jesus Christ, and that's where they needed to put their hope and their trust, and they needed to see that God has come down and he's become a man, and he's pouring out his mercy, and he's doing these miracles so he can show that he's God. He says, you need to stop putting your faith and your trust in, in this Jewish system because it's not going to save you. It's not going to save you. So what, what are we saying in all this? What are we saying when we look at a story like this and, and we, we look and we see what's going on here and what are, we, what are we saying? Is that there is only one good news and that good news comes from one place and that is a God who has a mind that is eternal and a mind that is beyond ours. And he is the one, the one that we put our trust in. We see a merciful God in this story. We see a God who has compassion upon people and who pours out his mercy upon people. And we see that and we embrace that and we love that. But we cannot ignore the truth that we cannot put our hope in something else. That we have to genuinely put everything and all of our trust and all of our, our love and our, 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 our trust into the fact that there is only one God. And it can't be found anywhere else. And you either love all of him and all of his mind or none of him. You cannot be on the fence with Jesus. This was a man that was on the fence and which way did he end up going? He ended up ratting out Jesus to the Jewish leaders so that they could then begin to start harassing Jesus. Start trying to call him out and, and start for doing the things that he was just doing to pour out mercy on his people. When Jesus was on the cross, he looked down. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think about that a lot. Because I, in my, my feeble mind, think that somehow I can understand the mind of God completely. In, in my feeble mind, I can, uh, I can somehow understand why God would do this and wouldn't do that. And, and I, in my feeble mind, think that, that I can completely comprehend the, the truth of God's word in such a way that I understand the mind of God. And... and I don't. 
I don't. All I can do is trust it that I don't know. And, and the beauty of the gospel is that I can't fully comprehend it completely. I can't fully comprehend everything that God has said. I can't fully comprehend why he would show his mercy on me. I can't fully comprehend that. But all I can do is trust it. All I can do is trust it. The good news, it really is good news. All of it is good news. We can't pick it apart and say that because we don't understand it, there's bad news in the good news. No, it is all good news. There are some people in here that you've never really embraced the good news. You've never embraced the whole truth of God. And you've never really embraced the mercy that he has poured out and given to you so freely. You've never really said yes to God. You've, you've only said yes to God with conditions or, or only yes to, to, to part of your understanding about God. You've never said, God, no matter what you say, no matter who you say you are, I believe and I trust in you and your mercy. I cannot fully comprehend you and your ways and I cannot wrap my mind around everything that is you. But I trust you and my life belongs to you. There are people watching online right now and the reality is that they they fall short of completely putting their trust completely in Jesus Christ my prayer for you my prayer for you is this you'd stop trusting yourself you'd stop trusting yourself and thinking that you know and you would trust completely in him knowing that he knows knowing that he knows. Father, thank you, God, for the reality of your word. I thank you for the fact that I don't know. I, don't, I cannot completely comprehend every single thing. God, but I do know that this man, in this particular situation, he was in love with a system that was not you. He was in love with something that, that he, could, he could see with his own eyes. God, he was in love with something that, that, that he had just been accustomed to, and he'd, he'd fallen in love with what he just... He thought he knew. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be like that. I pray that we would just fall in love with Jesus, that we would see his mercy, his grace, and God, we would just fall in love completely with Jesus and God, trusting in your mind, trusting in your ways, trusting in your understanding and not our own. God, there are some that they, they think they know. They think they've got it all figured out thing that you reveal to me over and over again is every time I think that I've got it figured out, I know nothing. God, I pray that we would know nothing but Christ crucified. Or today be glorified as we respond to you. I'm not sure what it is that you've got in store, God. I'm not sure what it is that you're doing in and through this word. God, but I trust you. And I trust your Holy Spirit. May he move now.